0: Hey everyone and welcome to our Wednesday edition, special edition of the Scouting Report, where I will answer your questions. You can find our first Wednesday special covering what does an area scout do on iTunes, Podbean, or on Twitter at RightStepADV. All audio scouting reports and episodes are available there. Yesterday we released offensive tackle Jordan McFadden from Clemson, and tomorrow we will have Edge pass rusher three four outside linebacker will mcdonald from iowa state football is one in the trenches and these two are part of the that trench and uh they're two fun players to watch we will continue to put out content from the scouting world with what you want so make sure you like subscribe leave comments on what you want to hear with the comments that we have let's uh go ahead and jump in get into the questions that you submitted first question Pretty simple one as far as the questions I got. How much does age factor into the process of evaluating a player? Is there a clear cutoff line? It is a good question. Age is always part of the equation. Got to get birth dates, figure out how old they are. Um, I would say largely, not a factor. You think about guys like Brandon Whedon, older quarterback. You think about some of the pipeline of players that have come over from Australia, um, mostly in the punting world, um, older players. Again, if you can play, you can play. It really doesn't matter what your age is. Um, What there is is typically, if you want to talk a cutoff line, 25 is typically kind of a cutoff line. Um, 25 by draft time, 25 by the start of their rookie season. The only thing that will indicate is an alert will likely be put on that player, indicating that they are on the older end, again, that mid-20s age. Again, that alert is only an alert that that player is older in five drafts that I was part of a draft room. I don't think we ever took a player off the board because of age, and I think only in a few cases was the, um, in those cases, the advanced age, upper 20s, older 20s, really discussed. Again, in none of those cases, was it anything more than why is the player older? What is the background? Why is he now being drafted at age maybe 27, 28, as opposed to the average you know, around 22, 23? So how does age play in? Again, mostly the age factor comes into when you talk about a player's background and their character. Older and younger players will typically have different levels of maturity, as you can imagine that factor in their overall background. An older player may be married, have kids, be done with school, graduate school, have multiple degrees, you know may not even have to go to school in, in some cases, you know, be working in some kind of internship, Um, They may have less distractions in terms of what they like to do on the weekends, on weeknights, um, some of their habits. But again, those players may also have more responsibility and again, the same distractions of family life, kids and so forth. Older players, again, you start talking about players like in in their uh, fourth, fifth, sixth year, um, again, players getting into their mid-20s. Those players are probably going to have less grace given to them when they're making, you know, you call them bonehead you know, mistakes, bad decisions. Um, Again, a college freshman, sophomore, they may still be learning what it's like to live on their own, operate as an adult, not have, you know, mom and dad at home, not have parents, guardians, uh, people holding their hand, getting them to class, all those kinds of things. An older player largely should have learned what college is like. They may have made some mistakes early on, but again, they should have some more maturity about them. Again, in the way a coach, a staff, pro liaison academics, everybody talks about them. Older players should be talked about, as you expect, like older players. More professional, understand what is expected, and not you know let around by the hand. Need less attention from staff, able to take care of their own business. Again, not that younger players get the excuse, but again, it's all part of the growing up process. All of us have dealt with it, college players especially, again, every one of them is going to have a certain learning curve as they grow up and go through college. Like I said, on the field, age does not matter, largely unless you're talking about health or wear and tear. Of course, tailbacks being the most talked about position in terms of shelf life, other positions will have talk of some of those aspects as well Uh, an older offensive lineman big player big tight ends big defensive lineman that maybe start you start talking about back injuries chronic knee issues again you may start talking about the age factoring into that again that's largely going to be kicked over to your athletic trainers your doctors Uh, people that understand the medical side of it and what age may factor into that. Again, that's where that alert is going to come in. Again, you start getting multiple alerts on a player, an age, a medical, anything like that. Again, it's going to just raise flags, force you to ask more questions, make sure you have answers before you bring in that player into the building. So I would say that's the short answer of it. Age is a factor mostly when it comes to talking about the background or personal makeup of a player. But again, if you can play, scouts, NFL teams, they don't care how old you are, again, come in, play one contract, two contract, couple years, again, we all know NFL not for long, so if you can come in, give us a couple good years, I don't care how old you are, come in, play hard for us. Our next question, a little bit more of a full question, few pieces to it. So the question is, when rejecting a player, what all goes into the process? How do you find an optimal balance between no stone unturned and don't waste precious time? It's a great question, um, one that both scouts and teams from different organizations uh, are all going to treat a little bit differently. First, I want to try to define what rejecting a player means. First, a reject a reject is a term that teams will use for players that they will not ultimately consider for their NFL team. It's not, you know, meant to be derogatory. It is not meant to, you know, say anything more about the player than hey, they may be a good college player. They're just simply not good enough on the field to play for our organization for any number of reasons. Um, On the character side, which we'll get to again, it may be a player that uh, their makeup, their background, just is not a player that we want in our building representing our organization. Again, please don't take the term reject as anything more than a designation for players that a scout or a team doesn't want on their team. With that said, there are mainly two reasons players will be rejected by scouts. Uh, Those two are character and level of play. There's also a third category that would be determined to be a medical reject, but that is determined by NFL doctors, trainers, those in the medical field. Scouts will not medically reject a player. We will do what we can to understand it as much as we can, but scouts are not doctors, scouts are not trainers. So we will gather the relevant information, then hand it off to our medical experts. So let's first hit on the level of play. As I said, there are plenty of good college players that for any number of reasons are looked at as not quite good enough to play in the NFL and they are rejected. Lack of speed, lack of size, lack of explosion, lack of overall ability and anytime you start getting a combination of these things, those are going to probably lead to a reject player. So let's think about the numbers here. At a typical Power Five school, you're going to have you know 15 to 20 players in a senior class, or you know in your class that have exhausted their eligibility. Again, you start talking about your fourth, your fifth, your sixth year players with COVID. Um, of those, and we're gonna say 20 just for sake of talking through these numbers, your top schools, um, your big schools are gonna have five to 10 players by the time the draft comes with draftable grades. Again, depending on your roster size, five to 10 players with undrafted free agent grades, which leaves you with you know five to 10 players on a good power five team that will likely have a reject grade on them. Again, you start talking about your schools like your Ohio State, your Alabama, your LSUs of recent years that have had 10 to 15 drafted players. Again, those are records for a reason. This is not common. You get your schools um, that by the time you get to January also have underclassmen in that. Again, it just waters everything down. You may end up with even more rejects as part of that group. In recent memory, there have also been P5 teams, Power 5 teams, with, you know, they have a 500 record, um, a good solid team, won some games, beat some, you know, quality opponents that have not had a single draftable player. You, you know, of their 15 to 20 draft eligible players, maybe six to seven undrafted free agents and 10 plus rejects. So it is not uncommon for, you know, teams that can win college football games to have 10 rejects. So, doing work on these rejects players as we discussed in our first wednesday special reports have been written on all draftable players prior to any scouts first visit at the school once at the school the pro liaison is going to give a background on all players that according to the national scouting groups your nfs your BLESTO, or the scouts uh, are considered final eligibility or senior players Most scouts, especially area scouts, will take full notes on every player that's talked about in terms of background and character. You're going to want to be able to answer certain basic questions, no matter if the player is a reject or a draftable player. Notes are largely minimal when it comes to these reject players, um, and uh, their pro liaison is going to rely on scouts to kind of help them trim their list and know who to talk more about. There will also is always going to be a scout or two that wants to ask more questions about players where maybe half of NFL teams view them as a reject. Only a few maybe still have them on the board as an undrafted free agent. So uh, a lot of times those scouts will circle back a little bit later and get more background. Again, scouts want to have at least baseline information as you never know who's going to end up popping up as the season goes as they get productive and all of that. Once you get to film, even practice, walking up on them, seeing them in person, you're simply doing like anything else—judging traits and you know play level of play like any other player. Working to see if it projects to the NFL and if you think they look like they belong on your team. Some players can be rejected easily when you start combing, uh, combining their lack of traits going through, watching them, you know, line up and play against other players on the field, an undersized linebacker that struggles to run, uh, misses tackles. He may be rejected quickly after you see him running around on the practice field. Again, you start looking at your height, weight, speed traits. Uh, If there's an offensive lineman who maybe he's a height, weight, speed trait guy, Borderline, you get out to practice and he struggles to get down in a stance. You watch him start going through warm ups again. You can start rejecting players uh, based on hey, this guy does not. I don't see NFL players looking like this when they're on the field, so always important to do that. Most scouts are still going to do at least a one liner across two games of film on what they would determine a reject player. Again, most of it's just based on their ability do they think they can play at the NFL level? Do they think they could be even brought in for camp um, or are they if you were brought in as a reject player you're you know not going to look great on the NFL field it's going to be quickly obvious that you are not an NFL player. On the character side of it it can be a lot more of a gray area in terms of the work done or not done on a reject player. There could be a top-round talent player that has character concerns for a team that, based on an individual team's character criteria, very little work is done by the area scout. Every team and GM and, you know, many owners included in that may have a hard and fast rule on issues relating to personal and off-field character that would make them a reject. One team may reject a player in the fall once all the facts have been gathered by the area scout and, you know, Maybe very little time energy resources are then you know spent researching anymore if if it is verified information that a player has you know had any number of issues, that player is going to be off the board for a team and they may say hey don't don't spend any more time going on that. It's been verified we're good to go uh, He's not a player we want in our building that happens. It is acknowledged that they are a talented player. But again, we do not want that player putting on our helmet, wearing our logo. Again, area scouts are going to be expected to have all the facts, opinions, and sources that can confirm all the character issues that make them a reject. Uh, But again, they will be held accountable when that comes up if that player is actually ever brought in the building. On the other side, there are teams that will not reject a player for any character reason, but instead just start sliding them down the board to where they feel the risk-reward of that potential rejectable player, rejectable issue is now worth taking a chance on. You talk about a first-round talent that's got major character issues that one team may reject. Another team may say, hey, if that player is available in the third round, we can deal with the issues. We can, you know, get him help, do whatever we need to to try to, you know, help through that issue. These players will require extensive work from early camp all the way to draft time to answer all the questions and decide where they should ultimately land. Legal issues, background checks, interviews, everything that can be done, every source that can be talked to is where every stone unturned mantra really comes into play, especially for teams that bring in more players with a spotty record. I don't have to sit here and tell you that there are NFL teams that are more likely to do this. You can see from headlines what teams those are, and by uh, you know some of those headlines, who is going to be more likely to bring the teams in. An area scout may reject a player from a character standpoint, but ultimately be overridden by higher up, you know, directors, scouts, GMs, and everything like that scouts are going to be held accountable just like we said for what they put in there and you know scouts are going to do all their work because at the end of the day they want to be right on every player so they will make sure they have done all the work On the medical side of it, scouts are gonna find out all they can about the medical side, but with, you know, obviously different laws, you talk about HIPAA, different things like that, governing medical records, this is often part of the process that um, happens after the season, once most schools allow their athletes to release their records. Scouts are going to you know, do all the work they can, but they're not doctors, so they're going to give alerts to the medical staff on an issue, different issues that may relate to the severity, long-term prospects of an injury, anything that the medical side needs to look into it. I can promise you one of the most deflating things for a scout is to have a player you really like, you've done lots of work, character, like the player, ultimately you know there's a medical issue, you raise an alert, and that player gets medically rejected. It's hard to argue with it, and it becomes a hard pill that you must swallow as an area scout, but again, it's all part of the process. It's been said that one of the best abilities is availability, and players that are not healthy have a hard time producing on the NFL field. Scouts are ultimately going to be held accountable for both players that you sign off on and players that you reject. So again, whatever work has to be done by whatever scout at whatever level to make sure you are feeling good about your decision with that player is going to be important. It can be the hard part of a job to reject a good player, but the NFL is a rare group of athletes and not everyone can ultimately make it. Our next question that we'll get to is multi-sport athletes. Do NFL scouts care? The big answer is yes. Scouts love to see multi-sport athletes and will often uh, talk about these sports in their evaluations. Some of the big ones, track athletes, especially sprinters and jumpers are going to have sprint times in their reports. 100 meters, 200 meters, long jump, high jump. Again, are they a national level player? Uh, there's always football players that have track scholarships. Again, all this stuff is mentioned as part of, hey, this guy has legitimate speed. A tight end that played basketball is another big one that scouts love to see. They know how to box out defenders, work with their hands away from their body, use their hips to shield defenders, and high point the football. Baseball center fielders. If there is an outfielder in baseball, we often look at it defensive backs, wide receivers, uh, safeties. They often have a heightened ability to track the ball down the field on deep throws or punt returners. They'll all all translate and track tracks well. Wrestlers who are offensive and defensive linemen often have a special ability and innate ability to use their hips, understand leverage and hand use. Wrestling also has the uh, stigma that they have an extra grittiness, toughness uh, that comes with, in my and many scouts' opinions, the toughest individual sport. I can remember in one instance a player who said in an interview, kind of just offhand, they didn't like wrestling because it was too tough. They didn't like having no one else around. They liked being out there with teammates. Again, that was talked about as part of the player's overall profile. So, For all those high school athletes out there, high school coaches, play as many sports as you can, enjoy the time in those sports, know that those traits, if football is ultimately your goal, there are traits in these other sports that will carry over. We're getting short on time, but we'll uh, hit our last question here. What mental adjustments do you have to make when you scout small school players? This can be a tough one for scouts as uh, one of the gauges a scout always uses to help evaluate is level of competition you can always imagine a p5 power 5 player that is good against other power 5 players is usually a good player. You start dropping down to a MAC conference, Mountain West, Sun Belt or even as you get down into division 2, division 3 NAIA, there may not be another NFL caliber player on the field. So, the first thing you've got to look for is, you know, height, weight, speed. Does this guy fit the position ideals or is he close? in the position ideals for the NFL. Again, you start finding those players with position ideals, you can move on to the next step, but that is a, an important criteria. After that, you've got to determine the level of domination at that level with the traits that they have. Are that is that going to translate to the NFL? Again, you start getting moving down in levels, a player must be dominant, must have... You know, maybe rare stats must have you know plays where you know he truly looks like a man amongst boys. I go back, think about a guy like Adam Troutman from Dayton. He was the focal point of the offense. He was going for 200 plus yards multiple times in games. Was doing it even while the defense was lining up two or three guys on him trying to trail him. Um, Again, he was a height, weight, speed guy that was productive. You walk up on him on at practice and you could easily pick him out. On that same team adam had a teammate that was a very very productive slot wide receiver but he was about five seven hundred and seventy pounds you know he had he had good speed for his level but again nothing translated to the nfl other than his production one guy looked like he was an nfl player the other didn't as a scout goes into a school this he must know that the staff everyone there believes that this is an nfl player that they're going to be talking about And even without knowing it, they may exaggerate the player's ability, character, again, weight progression, what he's doing in the weight room, or any other questions. This is their chance for their school to have an NFL player. So for me, it was always a grain of salt thinking. I've always got to understand that they are pushing this player and that uh, this is still a small school player. It's different if you know a, a big school in Ohio State's talking about a player in the same line, that means that's a real special player. If Dayton's talking about a player, it's you know, Dayton doesn't have a lot of experience. Again, just using Dayton as an example, Dayton has had a few guys that have gotten you know camp tryouts and Adam obviously a third-round draft pick, but Always be excited about the prospects of a small school player while knowing that he must be very special if he's going to come out of that school. Media hype is also going to be a driver for some of these players as everyone loves an underdog story. Staying grounded in your report and trusting what you see, blocking out the noise is always essential. as scout evaluates a small school player. Well, we're uh, we're well past our time. I hope I answered the questions and maybe even generated a few more. Please reach out with any questions you may have. We'll hopefully do another question-answer on one of these Wednesday specials. Send those over at rsafootball.com or by following me on Twitter at RightStepADV. Tomorrow we will have our audio scouting report on Will McDonald, pass rusher out of Iowa State. Football season is upon us, so as always, keep scouting.